0: who's now my wife. And uh, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen between us, but I can promise you I'm going to live in Maine. So uh, it it worked out well for me uh, in the end. And so uh, I'm excited to be with you today. Uh, Just want to say thank you so much to the team here and Pastor Jim, uh, amazing guy, and he's just uh, welcomed me here. And so I'm super excited that I can be with you. You've been in a series, um, and this has been interesting because uh, he sent me some information, sent me some videos of just kind of this series that you guys have been in and watching it, and I just really was like, wow, this uh, is something that is so true. It, it, it's what is a Christian, right? We, we look at that, and it's so easy for us to, if you've been in the church, just be like, oh, well, this is what a Christian is. And then when we start to really dive in and we start to look at it, we realize that Christian isn't really defined in the Bible. Christian is not even really mentioned in the Bible. And we're like, well, what? Why, Why do we say that then? Uh, we actually, if we look at it, Jesus defines what? He defines disciples, He defines kind of who we are as people, and he says, okay, this is what it's like to be my disciple. Because Christian, Christian can, in this society, can mean a lot of different things. You can be on different ends of uh, different views and points. You, you don't have to necessarily agree with someone on how maybe politically they should be, or, or maybe uh, as a Christian, you don't have to agree necessarily on how things are done in life because there's so many different things to find that, oh, you're a Christian, 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 you're a Christian. Oh, wait a second none of you have anything in common. But what we do know is that Jesus clearly defines what a disciple is. And and if we look, um, it's it's really interesting. He says, uh, if you forget everything, the one thing that will define you as my followers is that you love one another. And then he goes on and he says, and just not love one another. You've got to love each other the way I love you. Now that is a bold statement because if we start to look at that, that clearly defines not just, oh, you can be this, this, and this. It's, no, we have to love like Jesus loved. And so that's where we're gonna be looking at today. Um, the The kind of title or, or wraparound of this is, um, how many of you... Um, have ever heard of Angry Birds, right? It's a game. It was, uh, it's still kind of popular. Yeah, all right, we got some. And th- it was kind of popular back a few years. It's still kind of around, but it's like you get these little birds and uh, there's pigs and you're trying to knock over these towers and destroy the pigs. And um, it's just kind of, we don't know why they're angry. It's just, I think the pigs did something to the birds at some point. But uh, today, we saw in kind of the opening video, why are Christians angry? Lately, we have actually seen this a lot. The the world is asking, why are Christians so angry? Why is it that if you carry the label Christian, more than likely, there's going to be something attached to that? And so we're going to kind of dive in and look at that, because Jesus in uh, John, we, we kind of see this. We see that he became flesh, and so he he put on, he became human, and he dwelt among us, and, and so he was just like us. And then it goes on and it says, but he was full of grace and truth. He was full of both grace and truth. He It wasn't that he was one or the other. He wasn't Sometimes happy and sometimes angry. No, 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 no. He was grace and truth. We, we tend to put truth as like a, almost like an angry term, right? How many of you have someone in your life that, um, oh, how do I put it? Oh, we'll go like this. We had a friend come from California to visit us. We went out to a diner, and now he's from California. And so his first question to the waitress was, do you have fresh squeezed orange juice? And when you come from California, that's a legit question. But when you're from Maine, we don't have like orange trees up here. They're not going out and picking the oranges. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could get it from the store and go squeeze it. But the waitress was like, no. (laughs) Like just right off the bat, just no. And it like took him back. He's like, you know, I'm not upset at your answer. I'm just kind of like thrown off by how you answered it. Like, like, like you, you could have just been like, oh, no, sir, we don't have it. Like, but she just was truth, right? Sometimes truth comes off as like, oh, this person's angry. And that's not it at all. Because if we look at Jesus being full of truth, He's not an angry person. And so as a disciple, as we dive into this, we have to realize that truth does not mean that it's anger or our response is anger. We're going to take a look at a story. If you have your Bibles, uh, Luke 15. And uh, it's going to be kind of this well-known story, and it's where Jesus gathers around people. And the opening statement, I love it, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. This is an interesting statement if you don't take time to really dive into it. Um, it is introduced that he was surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. This is, um, if you, tax collectors are, are were terrible people. Like, they, they, sinners didn't even want to be recognized with tax collectors. Like, this was one of those situations where if you look at it, they're like, look, we're not even going to put sinners in the same category as tax collectors. And what you could think of, and now some of you, don't get mad at me. It's just kind of, it's an example, all right? Um, Tax collectors were like um, multi-level marketing They had people above them that were like, hey, you get three people around you to go collect taxes, and then they all go get three people around them to go collect taxes, and we'll just share the profits. Now, some of you are like, I'm in a multi-level marketing. That's awesome. Good. You're great. It's completely different, but not really. Uh, And so these tax collectors would go out, and they would just rob people blind. And it just angered everyone in society back then, except for the tax collectors. It even angered the sinners, or what they considered sinners. And so what we find is, we go on in this story, and Jesus, the master communicator, uh, he's kind of gathering them around, and they're starting to really get around. And uh, verse 2 says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes and embraces as um, and uh, this man welcomes, and so he's drawing them in, and he eats with them. He, he's being intentional. He's being uh, passionate about reaching out to them. And Jesus, this is a very interesting spot, because he has two types of people around him. He has the, the tax collectors and sinners, which is one category, and then he has the Pharisees and the believers in another corner, and they're both interested in him. We could stop and we could focus. If this is how Jesus loved, we could say, well, we just love like Jesus. Well, we should be preaching or we should, everything that comes out of our mouth should not only be a draw, drawing attention from Christians, but those who are not Christians. Because Jesus, when he spoke, when he was speaking grace and truth, it wasn't just appetizing to one set person. It was appeasing to everyone that he spoke to. I mean, literally, picture this. It would be like when you showed up today, the person you hate most was filled the entire audience. And you had to find a seat, and you were sitting in the very, very back, and you're like, wait, why are they here? This isn't the spot for them. This isn't where they belong. And Jesus, because he's so full of grace and truth, he was drawing and his words that he was speaking were both appeasing to those that knew the law and those who broke the law. And he starts off and he he says this. He says, suppose one of you, has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And being the master communicator that he is, he now has every single person in there listening to him agreeing. They can't agree on how life should be lived, but they do agree, wait, on how life is. Because if a sheep is lost, you go find it. Whether you're a tax collector, whether you're a sinner, or whether you're a person of the law and abide everything that was written, you're now agreeing with the people that you thought, I could never agree with them. I could never be in the same corner that they stand in. that, that What? And as soon as they're all like, he, he's asking the question, don't you go and find it? They're all like, yeah, yeah. And then he he notices the women in, in the audience and he says, and, and, and women, uh, once you lose a coin, something valuable, something so precious to you, don't you turn over the house? Don't, don't you literally throw everything out and, and you're like, well, I got to lift the couch. I got to move the table. I got to find this. And yet again, he now has everyone agreeing to, not only when something's lost, you find it, but when something's precious and valuable to you, you do everything you can to find it. And so the Pharisees are now looking over going, why am I still agreeing with those people I hate? Why is it that when, when he says this, I have this stirring in my heart that I need to agree that, yeah, this is what I would do. Because again, the tax collectors are so worried about money that if they lose something precious, their next level, multi-level manager is going to be like, hey, where's my cut? You, did you lose my money? And so they're just thinking personally, like, man, if I lost this precious coin, if I lost a bag of money, I would be doing whatever I could to find this. And the Pharisees are thinking the same exact way. Well, if God gave me money to put into the church and I lost that, you best believe I'd be searching all over the place for that. You best believe that I would do whatever it would take to find what is precious to me. And Jesus is literally communicating to them about grace and truth, and they're not even fully aware of it. And he's starting off and setting this platform for us as we read this story. Whenever we look at the Bible, we have to look at not only what, what it means to us now, but what it meant to them back then. And so he, he's setting it up, and uh, he goes in, and he says, now, now look at this. He he goes in and he starts talking about a father and two sons. And he says the firstborn was a good kid. How many of you are firstborn in here? How many of you have an annoying little brother? I'm the annoying little brother. I'm mad that you raised your hand on that. But Here's the thing. He sets it up. He knows that in those days, the firstborn was typically, and we even see it now, typically the firstborn is very, like, structured. They're, they're, they're very, just, they're good kids. My brother is, um, I I don't want to ever admit this, but he's a better person than me. He he's very good. He he knows. He's logical. He thinks about things, and uh, he doesn't make unwise decisions. Uh, and when I came through, I was just like, eh, "We'll push the limits a little bit. We'll we'll do." And and there was a difference between me and my brother. Now I will say this: I have um, four boys, and. The first one um, is amazing. They're all amazing. I don't know how I'm going to get out of that one. But they're, they're all amazing. But the first one really is he, he's a good good kid, sometimes a li- little out there. He's creative um, and, and artsy. And um, my, my second one, now he, he's the responsible one. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because he's the the second middle and he needs to be responsible for the other three and the first one just gets away. But you see, Jesus is literally pointing out that, hey, there's a responsible side. My top two are, are definitely, or not my top two, my oldest two are responsible. And my younger two are not. They will, like, my my one son, he is um. What clumsy Carl I think is what the other boys call him. Um, I know it's horrible, but it's true. He is clumsy. Like he'll be like looking around and like, oh man, look at the bird, look at the bird, look at the bird. Fall down a flight of stairs. Like like it's just he doesn't pay attention to anything. And Jesus knew this even back then. He knew like there's, there is some structure to this. And so this younger brother, he points out, he says, there's an older one who's responsible and a younger one who is kind of wayward. And so when he starts to tell this story, he starts going in and he says, now this younger son looked at his dad and said, I hope you die. I want so bad for you to be dead right now that I want everything that you would give me then, now. Now, that wasn't exactly how he put it, but that's exactly how everyone in that audience heard it. Because he said the younger one asked for his inheritance. When do you get an inheritance? After the person passes. And so he's going up to his dad, and now he's saying, give me what I deserve. Give me what is eventually going to be mine. And now, yet again, we have not only the Pharisees and the tax collectors, now they're all enraged. like They're all like, "Oh, that young one, that little brother. And they're looking at each other going, Oh, now now we've agreed on three things. Now we've agreed that if a sheep was lost, we'd go get it. We also agree that if something was precious, we would find it. And the little brother is a terrible person. And what he's done is he's now put in grace, the, the grace of finding the sheep and made the Pharisees agree with it. And now he's bringing in truth that oh, that asking for your dad to die, that's rude. That's mean. Like if one of my kids came up to me and was like, hey, I wish you were dead. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Do you know who I'm your dad? I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Like, and It's one of those feelings that he's literally bringing in. He's bringing in emotion to the situation. And he says to the crowd, the dad gives the son what he asked for. He goes. He splits it up. And now everyone in that moment is even more outraged. Like, I can't believe this. I cannot believe that he, this dad, he's not a good dad. Everything in this story, you were doing good. When we start to read this, they would start to realize: okay, when Jesus speaks, there's normally someone who represents God and someone who represents me. And up to this moment, they were still on board that that God was good and that God was, was all for this scenario. Because, yeah, God would go out. He would find the sheep. God would go out. He would look for the lost coin. God would never give up half of his inheritance. And this is where the story gets really good. He goes on and he says, and then the boy spent everything. The boy literally went out, wasted all of his time, went out. He he, he spent everything that he had, everything the dad gave him, he sold off. And he moved far, far away. And now, Jesus has these sinners going, hmm, that's kind of me. I, I've... Been given a decent life, and I've thrown it all away. I've thrown what blessings I've had away. And the Pharisees are going, "Well, where's God in this? Where, where's this moment? Because I thought God was the dad, but He's not the dad. He can't be the dad because if He was the dad, He wouldn't act like this. And so they're fighting this turmoil inside of them." How is God going to be represented in this? And you see, some of us in this room, we're in this same turmoil. You've been given multiple opportunities and blessings in your life, and some of you have squandered it away. You've just blown it. It's okay. I've done that many of times as well. God has blessed me many times over, and there's been many of times where I've just been like, I don't need this right now i much rather do things my way. I like my way. I, I want it my way. And this son is now at the point where he's looking and he's, he's squandered everything. He's thrown it all away and he's sitting in a pen with pigs. And in Jewish history, this was the lowest of the lows. If you are even around pigs... You are considered that, that low. And he's sitting in a pen with them, wishing that he could eat what they ate. Wishing that that just even the lowest of the low, he's now wishing he was one of them. He was wishing he was a pig. And this has, again, everyone in the audience going, this story is way too much. Way too much for me. I I, I can't deal with that because there's no way any Jewish good Jewish boy would ever sit with a pig. And we say the same thing. There'd be no way any good Christian would do that. What's that? We 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 have plenty of labels that We as a church, and when I say church, not journey church in general, but church, big church, the overall church, we look at people and say, well, if they were really Christians, they wouldn't do that. There's no way. And yet we forget to look at what circumstances brought them there. They thought they could handle it. They put their trust in themselves. They thought, I might just be able to be the one that does it on my own. My faith isn't in my father. My faith is in myself. And yet somehow, some way, we as Christians, we get angry at the younger brother. And we say, well, if you were a good Christian, you would do this. And so we read on and we see that the son, the younger son, finally comes to his senses. It says that. It's not just me making that up. It says he came to his senses and he rose up out of the pen and said, I will go work for my father. I'll become one of his servants. I'll become, because they eat better and live better than what I'm living in. And He rises up and he starts going and they're like, ah. The Pharisees are are literally at this moment are feeling glee because this person's about to go back and admit they were wrong. And you know what's going to happen? The father's going to be like, that's right and you deserve it. You are going to be one of my servants. And Jesus goes on and he says, and when the boy was far off, the father ran now the, the Pharisees are like all right all right this is the he saw the boy he's so angry he was running and then he when he got there he fell and gave him a kiss and the Pharisees are like he's running he fell all right he gets back up and he's just going to now yell at him ki- ki- kiss 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 No, that, and he yelled to his servants, bring the ring, bring the robe, bring, and the Pharisees are now blood boiling. What do you mean ring? He doesn't deserve, Jesus, do you understand? This person was, was just off last night doing the worst of the worst. What do you mean they showed up Sunday and they get a ring? What do you mean they showed up at our life group and now they get a robe? I have been serving faithfully in this church. I don't got no ring. I don't have no robe. And The Christians start to get angry because the Father has extended love and grace and is giving back his name. We were all originally designed and meant to be the love of God. We were all eternally meant to be in this beautiful, peaceful garden with God. God didn't create earth so that there would be suffering. God created earth so he could display his beauty to humanity. And these Pharisees are now looking and going, that is so unfair. And all the tax collectors are in almost the same boat. The sinners are almost in the same boat. They're going, that doesn't make quite sense, but man, I could really use that. I know I've messed up. I know I've made mistakes. I know that, that there's been something inside of me that I've, failed miserably, and yet he's going, the father is looking and putting a ring on the finger of the younger brother, and then as soon as he puts the ring, puts on the clothes, he yells to his servants, go and get the fatted calf, or the fattened calf. I probably said that wrong the first time, but the fattened calf, and he goes, and he grabs it, and and, as he's grabbing it, the servants are grabbing it and going, uh, "Good old faithful, reliable older brother." Goes, what is going on? Why are people now cheering? Why? Why is everyone hustling to to the dinner table? Why is everyone gathering around? There is music. We don't do music. What do you? There is dance. We don't do dancing. This is a Wednesday. This is hump day. This is the, the worst day. Why are we? What is going on? And he's looking and he's going, wait, that that's the good calf. That that's the one. Is it my dad's anniversary? It, no, my mom, mom, mom's not pregnant again, is she? No, uh and he starts to wonder what is happening in this life because i've done everything right and there's a party going on that i'm not aware of when we go on trips with my family there are two people that know exactly what's going on it is not me ever and it is my brother and his wife they know all at all times what's going on they know the schedule they know the routine because why he likes to be aware he wants to know exactly what's happening because that's his personality and this older brother is wondering the same exact thing hey what happened here and now we go on and we see that he the the servants come and talk to the older brother And it says this in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 28. Uh, It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He became angry because he learned that his brother was back. And he's like, we don't celebrate that. And again, everyone in the audience is like, yeah, why would you celebrate that? But yet they all agreed when something that was lost and precious and you find it and it comes back into your life, you celebrate. They all were agreeing to it just a moment ago when it was a sheep and a coin. Yeah, absolutely. But when it comes to humanity and a person, why are we celebrating that? And isn't that sometimes just like us? When a person who we kind of don't like has something good to happen to them and we see God pour out a blessing on them, we're like, really, you? You got that promotion at work? You were given that new car? You got a good deal on that house right now? The market is crazy. And you got that? And we're mad at their blessing." I I have to ask are are you sometimes an angry christian? Are you sometimes the one that is mad when someone gets blessed? I've been that. I've totally been in that situation. My grandmother was an amazing lady. She was just loved God. Everything that I knew about her, she just was all about God. Didn't know her any other way. She she woke every morning. She woke up. She prayed. Like lunch was like a thirty minute prayer just to get our food. Dinner same sort of deal. Like she was always playing piano and singing. And I, I just knew she loved God. And yet somehow, some way, when she was just in in her early 70s, she got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I, her, her last words going into the surgery was, our faith is in Jesus. She ended up passing away due to complications. And you sit back, and I could just picture, I, I haven't lost my parents, but I could picture my mom and my dad just being like, You had to take her? She was the one who had to die? You couldn't have taken someone else who hasn't lived as good of life as she had? There's many of times where we don't realize it, but we as Christians sometimes get angry at the blessings of other people. And God's like, I have a ring for you too. You just have to ask. The father in this story, he's literally, the brother is refusing to go in. And the father says, look, all I have, everything else that I have is yours. I didn't somehow give away your blessing. I didn't give away what you have. And he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You have given, you've never even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill that fattened calf for him. Verse 31 My son, the father said. You have always been with me. Have you been a long-term Christian? I grew up in a Christian house. I, I couldn't necessarily tell you the, the actual time or date that I accepted Christ first. I've always been with with God to the best of my recollection, rec oh, oh man we're not ever yeah to the best I can remember. I've always had that relationship with him. And I've had a watch countless times people come into church and we celebrate them being saved. We celebrate them receiving the greatest gift that could ever be. I don't remember ever celebrating me. I don't remember a time where it was like, yes, John Weller got saved. It's just always been. And sometimes it's hard because we're like, God, I've been doing this for years. When when do I get that big blessing? God, what and what we're doing is is we're almost kind of saying, God, when are you going to die and give me my inheritance? God's going, Oh, you forgot. I've already died. I've already died for that. Your inheritance. You already have that. What do you mean, I already? You have eternal life. Because the moment Jesus took on skin and he went and he died on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection means I am forever secured. And now I get to wear the ring of who God is. God I am your disciple. God, I may not understand the full terminology of a Christian, but I can understand that everyone around me is going to know me because of the love I show. Journey church, you you want people to know that you're somehow a part of God's inheritance plan. Show love. Are you you the tax collector and the sinner? Receive love. Let God overwhelm your life and say, you I've been searching for. You are the one that I would give up everything else. If if there was no one else here on earth, I still would have sent Jesus for you. If you're watching online and you've been wondering, I'm not exactly sure. Let me remind you, God loves you unconditionally. There is not anything you could do. You could go off and squander everything you have in life and God's still going, that's my pride and joy. That's the one I love most. There's not anyone that that I would rather be with because in this scenario, grace and truth is literally you cannot do anything to gain God's love more and there's not anything you can do to have God love you less, you Pharisees—the ones that are judgmental—there's nothing you can do. There's no law that you can be like. I follow this one to the T. God loves me now. No, that that just doesn't work. God loved you already. <laughs> God, got th- there's no thing that you can do that God's like, oh. You gave that extra dollar. Nope. God loves you so much. And it's not based on what you did. It's based on what he chose to do, what he chose to give up. And then you could be on the other side of grace going, well, how do I become not the lost coin? You simply go, here I am. It's me, I was the lost one. God, it's not really a difficult game of hide and seek because you see everything, but okay, here I am. And you accept God's grace and you say, I can't do this life on my own. And you come back and you say, God, would you just forgive me yet again? I don't know if you've accepted Christ a million times or one time. But it's all the same. God's still looking at you, going, I love you, and you need to love like I love. You want to be a Christian? Great. There's a whole bunch of ways you can be a Christian. But you want to be defined as someone who loves Jesus? Love others just as he loved you. Let's pray. God, you are good. And we thank you for just giving us your son. God, you've done miracle after miracle in our lives. And God, we are so grateful for everything you've blessed us with. God, for those in this room, those watching online, that may be struggling with, I'm not good enough. God, would you just pour out an extra, just, just extra grace over their life and over their thoughts? God, and for those of us, even myself, that sometimes sit back and say, God, why are you blessing them? Maybe have a judgmental attitude, feel like an angry Christian. God, would you just remind us that it was your grace that found us where we were. And it's your grace that sustains us. Lord, you are so good. We are so in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen.